energy. So this guy in the fantasy baseball chat is just ripping me. He's calling me names for how I handled my team. Buddy, you had 20 weeks for your own team to play better. Don't be mad at me. The passion. Mac Jones is fighting not just for his Patriots job, but he very well may be fighting for his NFL future. The opinions on all your favorite teams. For the Red Sox, it can't always be about next year. It can't always be about down the road. Where's the team that battles for now? This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? A very happy Wednesday here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Full show today. All 90 minutes. We are up until 7 o'clock, and then we will kick it on over to Jazz with George Thomas. we got a lot of stuff to get to today, right? You'll hear a little bit from my talk earlier today with Freddie Coleman of ESPN Radio. Tom Karen is going to stop by live from Scottsdale, Arizona at about 6.20 to talk about the general manager's meetings and what he's heard from Craig Breslow. I got some takes on the Red Sox based on what I've heard from Craig Breslow, and we got some stuff on the Patriots as well. You can get in 802-585-3026. That's 802-585-3026. I'm here. You're here. Danny's here. Let go. Five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. Opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas Show are brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and by Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center as well as northern New York, with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber and Rouse's Point, New York. They are online at sticksandstuff.com. Danny, I have an idea. Oh? You and I need to hang out after the show one day. You made me very sad is not the right word because, again, everybody's entitled to their own experiences. But when we were talking last week about how – when you went to college, you didn't really get a chance to, to go away often, right? You commuted to school. You lived at home. You didn't go visit friends a lot. You didn't really have a college, like a like a, a my kind of college experience. Again, it's fine. I'm not judging you. Not just yours, like typical. But when you were saying that, I thought to myself, I got to give Danny, like, I got to give Danny a little bit of what he's missing out on here. So I think Friday night after the show, you and I, out in Waterbury, Paint the town red. Are you in? Okay. I'm in. Okay. Now. I was about to say, which campus are we going to? We're not going, we're not going to a college. I'm a little too old for that. You might not be, but I'm, I don't yeah, know I anyone. Like I am too. I don't know anyone in college anymore. I'll, yeah. My, I don't know anyone in college anymore, but you and me after the show Friday, we got a short show. Norwich hockey is on at 635 there. So we get out a little early. You and I out. And about in Waterbury, you're in, you said, right? I'm in. You're not going to back out on me, are no, you? No, no. Why this didn't you ask gonna, months ago? Well, this isn't going to be like, oh, uh, yeah, I was going to, but I got to watch the Celtics game with my dad. Oh, this isn't going to be that, is it? No, I can record them. Are the Celtics playing on Friday? I have no idea. Okay, well... So I don't know if we want to do like a bar crawl or something. There's the brewery right across the street from the station. We got the reservoir. We got Pro Pig. They might have beer over at the Park Row Cafe. So we got options around here. We've got options in Waterbury. So just don't 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 tell me you get a better offer in the next two days because now I've cleared my schedule for it and you better stick to it. That's booked. All right. 802-585-3026. Uh, where should Danny and I go in Waterbury as well? Now, 
got to figure out the driving situation here. I can arrange alternate plans for myself. Are you going to be, are you going to have like a beer and then bolt on me at like 715? Are you going to, going to have your mom drive you or something? Yeah, we'll, we'll play it out. We'll see. All right. Figure it out. But you're in. As long as you're in, then good. So, uh, there you go. Danny's going to have, we're going to have a little fun, right? A little show hangout session. We, you know, we haven't hung out together, uh, after a show yet. So this will be good. It's been a while. We could go hang out at the American Legion. I, I left off the best place. We could go have a drink at the Legion after the show. We could do that too. My boy Steve, I'm gonna, t- Steve, if you're listening, I want all the boys at the Legion on Friday night. Can we do this Friday? Well, yeah, after the show on Friday. That's what I'm talking about. So Steve and the crew, if you are listening, I want everybody at the Legion Friday night at about seven, cause Danny and I are coming through. So, I'm going to have to text Steve if Steve's not listening. But there you go. Steve is listening. He says, I'm in. Hello about what? Yeah, make sure you and the boys are at the Legion. I'm going to be at the Legion on Friday. Danny's coming to the Legion on Friday. Then maybe we'll go to dinner or something. Steve, you can come to dinner, too, if you want. We'll we'll all have a blast together, and uh, we're going to give Danny a good experience here. A good. You've never really been out in Waterbury, have you? Not really, no. Yeah, because, you know, with the out, you didn't start working – this late until fairly recently, so you wouldn't right. really. I was have going a home mid-afternoon, kind of. Yeah, it's a, it's a good time. I've been out in Waterbury. I tell you what, one of the most fun nights I had was last year in a snowstorm. I ended up staying the night in the station, and I went over to the reservoir and had like a couple of beers, and then just went back to the station and fell asleep. Like that was great. That was I had a blast that night. So like college, huh? That's kind of like college. If you did that, if you slept in the station, then I would give you credit for having a college-like experience. How comfy you, is that couch, though? It's not bad. Really? It's not bad. I've slept on that couch many times. Like, not in the overnight. I've stayed the night in the station twice. But in the overnight, I have uh, stayed there, or in the overnight twice, and then in the day, I've stayed a couple of times, slept in there from like I would do the mid, the morning news service and then like have all day until the afternoon. So, you know, I'd have some time there where I was like in the station at three in the morning. I would sleep in it during the day, a little less comfortable at that time because everybody else is there, but overnight it was fine. So you haven't been in radio, Danny, until you've stayed overnight at the station. That sounds to, true. You'll have to do, you might, you, we might get there this year. Uh, you always have to bring a sleeping bag because I ain't gonna fight you for the couch. The couch is mine. You can get a sleeping bag on the floor if it ends up being uh, bad weather. But you know, I, driving home at 7:30 at night in a blizzard is no fun. Can so, I bring an air mattress or do I have to rough it? You can bring an air mattress. Just always keep it in your car. I ain't blowing it up for you. That's no, for sure. no, so, no. This thing plugs right in. Um, I am trying to also, in addition to give you a good college experience, Danny, I am trying to. Uh, Make something happen for the show that I know will make you happy. Oh? You are the world's biggest Dan Levitard fan. I don't know about world's biggest. There are bigger than me. Ima- I mean. If you can't imagine that, but. You are a huge Dan Levitard fan. And Dan Levitard used to be on ESPN Radio, and that's kind of where he got really popular. But now he's kind of doing his own thing, and he's still exceedingly popular. But ever since I met you in, like, 2018, you've been talking to me about Levitard. And it's like every day, do you see what Levitard said? Or, hey, this is what the Levitard crew is doing. Or, hey, the so-and-so is on the Levitard show. I'm like, do you listen to anything else? How do you watch the Celtics every night 
when you uh, – like, how do you watch the Celtics every night when all you do is listen to Levitard? I guess maybe you watch the game on mute and listen to Levitard. But I'm trying to get some of Levitard's cronies on the show, like Stu Gotts. I'm trying to get Stu Gotts on the show for you. Not all of you know who Stu Gotts is. He's hilarious. I give any props for that. I'm trying to get Stu Gotts on the show for you. Well, I'm excited. I sent a He's message. He's going to ghost you, but – I sent a message to Stu Gotts. I have his phone number. You're telling me he's not going to respond? I mean, he might respond, but it'll be three days from now, and he say, I'll get back to you, buddy. Um, no, I don't know. I think he's going to. Really? I think he's going to. I think he's going to. Um, you've got me discouraged now that he's not, but I said something nice. I said, hey, Stu... This is Brady from WDEV Radio in Vermont, New Hampshire, New York. We've spoken a bunch of times in the past, which is true, but it's been a while. I'd love to get you on the show soon to have some fun. My producer, Danny, is the biggest Levitard show fan there is, and I think it would be fun to have you on and play off that. I'm flexible on days and times. Let me know if we can make something work. Thank you. You're telling me that's not a nice enough message for him to respond to? You have to talk about his jets. I don't, I'll talk about whatever he wants. I'm doing this for you. If he comes on, I'm doing it for you. And I'm yep, going to let no. you ask, would you, would you ask him a question if I gave you the mic? Yeah, um, I would have to come up with a good one. Okay. I mean, you, you, would you ask something like super niche, like only true fans of the show would know that none of us will get what he'd get? I'd try to keep it general enough, but maybe make him tell a story about the, some of the ridiculous things he's done. Would you be too nervous? Would you, would you clam up if Stu Gotts was on the other end of the phone? Um, probably for a second. Yeah. If you're, if I'm being honest. I'm trying to think of people that have made me really It would be an out-of-body experience, right? I've been listening to this guy for, you know, eight years or something on a podcast, and then you're all of a sudden talking to him. I hope he responds by the time the show ends. Like, I, I don't know that he will. You think he'll never respond. But I hope that he uh, I hope that he responds by the time the show ends. So uh, we got my guy Jeff who says, I hope Brady and Danny have a good time. <laughs> or I hope you guys have a good time together. Peter says, you ain't living, Danny, until... Uh, you ain't living, Danny, until one has spent an overnight at your radio station. Uh, our guy Peter was actually used to work in radio over in Chicago. He says, we were in a big city with sponsors delivering us Italian beef sandwiches. That sounds amazing. That does sound – I've never had that fortune, but uh, I, I paid for my own dinner when I stayed the night here at the station. One night I got Zachary's Pizza, which was awesome. And uh, Deep dish, overrated. He's a Chicago guy. I need to know. Oh, oh, you're asking Peter, not me. Well, both. Yeah, well, I – I don't care about deep dish. I like regular triangle delicious pizza. Question is, do you fold your pizza, Danny? No, no, that's that's unnecessary. I will fold. I you know what? I used to share this very same outlook. I will fold my pizza if it is a huge piece and it's sturdy enough to be folded, and I have a drink in the other hand. Okay. I have a buddy who will fold the pizza. But like, we'll still have two hands on the pizza. I'm like, if you're, if you have two hands on the pizza, you don't need to fold it. Folding is for the act of keeping it in one hand. So if I'm going to fold the pizza, dip it in some blue cheese or ranch or whatever, and then I have a Coke in the other hand, well now, now we're talking about where I'll fold. But the idea of folding the pizza just to like brace it with the left hand and still hold it fully with the right, I ain't doing that. So, uh, Ralph says, I remember when you stayed overnight at the station. Well, Ralph, you weren't here with me, but I'm glad that you remember what it was. I still want, I want Steve and the crew to be at the Legion on Friday night. True. Uh, Danny and I will be there. And then 
probably dinner as well because we're going to need to eat. Uh, all right. Right now it's 542. Hey, I, I had a, a great time on Vermont Viewpoint today, Danny. Yeah. Uh, it was a fun time. Kevin Ellis was not here. He was out remote, I think, in Washington, D.C., but I any, made it through the hour. Any curveball questions you were expecting? Weren't no, expecting? Nothing really curveball. He asked me a, a couple of questions about Deion Sanders, which surprised me. That surprised big, you? He asked me a couple of questions about Deion Sanders. Why did that surprise you, though? Oh, because I thought it was going to be like, Regional sports, my career, local sports, and then all of a sudden University of Colorado football. Yeah, Kevin's all sports though. But no, Kevin was good and it was great. So if people listened, I appreciate you listening. And I always appreciate you listening to the station. Appreciate Kevin. I think he does a great job with that show. He's so smart. He's so well rounded. He knows everything that's going on in the state politically and far more than I do, obviously. So I enjoy learning from him as well. Uh, so if you listen to the show with me on it, I appreciate that. We got a caller that called in and gave me a lot of nice compliments. So shout out you, Brian, from Eden. Appreciate that as well. All right. We got Tom Karen coming up live from Scottsdale, Arizona at 620. He's going to talk to us about the Red Sox. I've got some takeaways from some things that I have heard about the Red Sox as well. We'll get to those next on the EV. Oh, let it run, Danny. I love this one. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. The general manager's meetings are going on right now in Arizona. So the general manager's meetings are not the biggest thing of the offseason, right? The winter meetings, which come up in December, is what we've always thought of as kind of where the big things happen, right? That's where Xander Bogarts got signed last year by the Padres, or at least where the deal got put in place. Um this is still important, though. This is the first opportunity after the season ends for teams to talk with each other about trades, for teams to talk with agents, for players about contracts, and for teams to engage with players themselves. Some players are actually at the general manager meetings, kind of just meeting with teams on their own. So this is important. A lot of groundwork will be laid for things here. Craig Breslow is there, his first kind of official big function as the chief baseball officer of the Boston Red Sox. I got a couple of takeaways here, a couple of things you need to know about what Breslow has had to say or what Breslow has done so far. First, Tom Karen, our Sox insider at Nesson, actually put this over on Nesson television yesterday. This is kind of the number one thing you need to know at this point. That starting pitching is the number one priority for this team. After all, the Red Sox starting rotation had the second fewest innings of any team in the American League last year. A lot of big arms available in the free agent market. Others could be available via trade. So Brezzo will have to get to work quickly. Red Sox need multiple starters this year. There's certainly a wide net of them available, right? There are guys at the top of the market like Yoshinobu Yamamoto, the Japanese pitcher who's supposed to be a stud. You know, he's in mid-20s, 100 miles an hour with devastating off-speed stuff. That guy's going to cost you $200 million. There's Blake Snell, who's going to cost you well over $100 million, who's probably going to win the National League Cy Young Award. There's guys like Jordan Montgomery, who made themselves a bunch of money based on their playoff performance this year for the Rangers, and he led the Rangers or helped lead the Rangers to a World Series. There are other intriguing arms that are bounce-back candidates, like a Lucas Giolito, who was awful last year but has been good in the past. There are guys like Sonny Gray, who are now going to be 34 years old, who are probably available on a three- to four-year deal rather than your typical seven- or eight-year deal for a guy. So there's arms available. It's a better pitcher class than it is a hitter class. TC says it. Breslow says it. They're looking for pitching. 
that sounds obvious, you still need to know it. Craig Breslow has identified and recognizes that starting pitching is a weakness on the team, on this team. They do not have a lot of it, and he is looking for a way to attack it out on the market, whether it's a free agent market, a trade market, whatever. He is looking for ways to better the Red Sox pitching staff. And if the Red Sox pitching staff gets better on the starting side, then their bullpen, I think, will invariably get better as well, or the rest of their team will get better as well. Because let's play this scenario out. Right, they've got, I think, right now set. They've got Chris Sale and they've got Brian Bayo. They've got those two guys as starting pitchers. They also have Pavetta and Crawford and Hauk and Whitlock. They've got four other guys there that could be starting pitchers. Well, if they go out and add, let's just say they go add two starting pitchers, any two you want. Well, now, What's going to happen? You've got Sale and Bayo plus the two we've just added. So that's four. And then you have the other four guys I just mentioned. So one of them becomes your number five starter. What happens to the other three? They either become bullpen arms and guys that very well could be starters go to my bullpen and now give that group more length and more depth. That would be a win for the team. Or do they take that excess starting pitching and turn around and trade it for something of value, for something of use. Would they trade Tanner Houck for an offensive piece to help this team? Would they trade Garrett Whitlock for a couple of prospects? I don't know, but these things are all options on the table. But if Breslow goes to get two or three starters, then he bumps guys that were in the rotation last year. Maybe they're to the pen and that gets better, or maybe guys get traded and now the team gets better in a way maybe we weren't anticipating. Craig Breslow's looking for starting, that starting pitching. That is this team's biggest need. There are options available at varying different levels. They're going to need to swing at the top of the market for somebody. Do they have to go and get three guys at $100 million? No, they don't. No, they probably shouldn't. But they're going to need three to, two to three new starters in this mix, right? Sale, always a question mark. Bayo, we like. I think Pavetta's probably got a case to be a starting pitcher next year as well. So are you going to go get Sonny Gray and Giolito? Are you going to go get Yamamoto and Giolito? Are you going to go and get Snell and Montgomery? I mean, there's options available there. And any of as long as he gets starting pitching, something good is largely bound to happen. It can't all be reclamation projects. I don't mind Lucas Giolito. I would be perfectly fine if Lucas Giolito was here as a reclamation project, but he can't be starting opening day like last year's guy, Corey Kluber was. He can't be a guy you have to count on like Garrett Richards was a few years ago or Martin Perez. But number one, he's looking for starting pitching. That's the most important thing you need to know. Number two, my second biggest takeaway that I've gotten from Breslow so far, I'm going to ask TC about this, is I am very, very confident now that Justin Turner will not be back in Boston next year. I am very, very confident that Justin Turner will not be back in Boston this this next year. And that kind of surprises me because he was great, right? Justin Turner was great this year. Um, he had 276 average, 23 homers, 96 ribbies. He was excellent. I don't think he's going to be back. He loves Boston. I thought there was going to be a marriage there. 
Danny, Breslow was asked about how he views the designated hitter position. Does he view it as I'd rather have one guy there or I'd rather keep it open to be able to allow a bunch of guys to cycle through? Here's what he said. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, on a high level, you know, we, we, we probably look to give – Alex as much flexibility as, as possible, recognizing that there are, you know, it's a long season and there will be times where he's going to want to get guys off their feet but keep their bats in the lineup. And uh, I don't think there's one way to, to do it. Now, obviously, I played with uh, a, a guy who manned the DH spot for quite some time and was pretty successful doing it. Um, you know, I think short, short of that, uh, you know, having uh, as, as many kind of creative possibilities um, as we can arrange is what makes sense. Translation. Unless we have a Hall of Famer like David Ortiz, we want the designated designated hitter spot open. That that that's what he just said. He said it smartly. He said it fancily. That's what he said. We want the DH spot open unless we have a Hall of Famer there. So I will throw this disclaimer out there: if they can get Otani, then I think it's pretty clear Breslow would just give Otani the DH spot. If they could get Otani, he would play Otani at DH. Short of getting Otani, he wants that spot open, and therefore there's no room for Justin Turner. There's no room for a, for a reunion with J.D. Martinez. Okay, These guys do not play defense anymore. Turner can play it a little bit better than J.D., but he's not a guy who's going to play it 75 games this year. He's going to be a DH for 140 games this year, and that's clearly too much in one spot for Craig Breslow's liking. So now the question will become what comes next for Breslow? What exactly does he do here? Because let's just start to play this out. You let Turner go. 23 home runs, 96 RBIs, that needs to be replaced. Where are you getting it from? That's my number one question now. You're going to let Turner go. 23 homers, 96 RBIs needs to be replaced. Where are you getting it from? Are you getting it from Casas getting better from year one to year two? Maybe. Are you getting it from Trevor Story being available to you in a way that he wasn't last year? Hopefully. Maybe that's the biggest answer you want. You're going to make up the gap with a guy like Story or with natural, you know, betterness from Casas. Are you willing now to have... You're going to have Yoshida in the outfield, Duran, Rafaela, and Abreu, and you've got Verdugo. You've got five outfielders there. Are you willing to move Verdugo so you only have four outfielders, and then Yoshida can play DH a bunch, the other three guys can play the outfield, and then you can just rotate them in occasionally so Yoshida can go back to the outfield? That's a question as well. That's a scenario to play out here. Are you going, do, do the Red Sox really want to play next year with three very young outfielders? Do you want to play with William Abreu, Sedan Rafaela, and Jaron Duran in the outfield? Three guys under the age, you know, of 26 or 27. Do you want to do that? Or are you going to trade one of them away and go sign someone big? Are you going to go sign Cody Bellinger for $200 million? I don't know. But this is what I'm getting from Breslow. Turner's not back at DH. Yoshida now probably gets to play DH a bunch. What happens to the rest of the outfield? Am I moving on from some of these young prospects to go get something else for this team? Am I keeping all the young prospects and going through some growing pains? Because I don't think Verdugo is going to be on this team. Breslow said today that he's gotten a lot of action on Verdugo. And 
whether that's true or not, he's drumming it up, I think, to drum the price up. He wants people to know. Craig Russell is very smart, right? At his intro press conference, Danny, he didn't say a whole lot. He wasn't willing to give a lot of specifics. Why is he giving this specific? Yes, we're receiving calls on Verdugo. He wants everybody to know that Verdugo is in play and that people want him. So that if you were trying to lowball them and offer them a depreciating asset for what you think is a depreciating asset, then now you're going to have to go and give a prospect as well. You're going to have to give two, two prospects or something. This is what Breslow is trying to do. He's smart and he's calculated. So your three big takeaways from Breslow at this point, looking for starting pitching, Verdugo on the market, and the DH is up for grabs. Short of Otani, the DH is up for grabs. 802-585-3026. Uh, Steve, our guy says, wow, Sale gets hurt, gets his starting job back. Well, yeah, there's five starters, and he's making $25 million next year. That's why he gets his job back. If he were a guy... Make it 300 grand, he wouldn't get his job back. If he was, uh, you know, a second baseman, he very well may not get his job back. There's five starters. You're going to need all of them, and you're probably going to need seven or eight starters to get through the course of a season. Right? Heck, you might need nine or ten starters to get through the course of a season. But you gotta get depth, but you gotta get some, you gotta get some ballers in there in the rotation, and it sounds like that's what Breslow is looking to do here. I'm most interested right now in the DH thing because I want to know what they're going to, how they're going to handle the outfield. Yoshida can play DH a lot. That's great. That helps them defensively. Three really young outfielders out there. You move in one of them. One of them staying in AAA. Signing someone. What are you doing? I guess if Verdugo stays, you can stash someone in AAA, but I don't think Verdugo's staying. Red Sox have a lot of work to do, and Craig Breslow is there setting the groundwork for that work. And Tom Karen is on the scene, and he's going to be with us about 20 minutes from now. So uh, we will step aside. We will get the CBS News update, and then we will come back. Bill Belichick, I wouldn't fire him in season. I've told you that for multiple days straight. One Boston media member would fire him. They'd fire him right now, and the reason why they'd fire him might surprise you. I'll follow up with a question for all of you. That's next on the Brady Farkas Show on DEV. Now, appropriate little dirty water playing after our big Red Sox conversation. We'll talk more about the Sox coming up in 15 minutes. Tom Karen going to join us live from Scottsdale, Arizona, at those general manager meetings. I'll ask him what he's hearing about the Sox. He actually spoke to Breslow a little while ago, so we'll have the latest from that as well. So, TC, in 15 minutes. Um Danny, you know, even though we're only a few years apart, I do feel like we're a generation apart at times. Have you ever seen the movie Mean Girls? Yes. Okay. Have you seen it like a lot? Like, or Multiple just something times. You've... It's okay. been a while, but yes. Very good movie. Okay. Kind of a, a cult classic for people of my age. And I think it's a movie, well, it's about, you know, girls and their relationships. I think it's something that's universally liked by people of my age, right? Like, I love this movie. Um, even though maybe it wasn't for me initially, I think it's for everybody at this point. Uh, th- I came across the other day a Walmart commercial for Black Friday that has a lot of the original members of the movie Mean Girls in it, and the commercial is a two-minute commercial, not a 30-second commercial, a two-minute commercial that is a complete spoof of Mean Girls. It is one of the best commercials I've ever seen in my life. 
like Lindsay Lohan is in it. The uh, actress who played um, Gretchen is in it. Um, the actress who played Karen is in it. Amanda Seyfried or something like that. She was also in Ted, and she's in another movie that's out there, Ted 2. Um, the guy who played Damien is in the movie. The guy who played Kevin DePore in the movie is in this commercial. Like, they really went all out on this commercial. It is one of the best commercials I've ever seen in my life. So I encourage you, Danny, if you've seen the movie and understand it, to go to YouTube and watch the Walmart Black Friday commercial. It is it is so unbelievably well done, and I wonder how many how much money it costs to make this commercial. Well, it's First worth off, it because you're talking about it. Of course it is, and Walmart can afford it. It's a two minute commercial instead of thirty seconds. That right there is probably four times more expensive than a normal commercial. Then how much are you paying, Lindsay Lohan, and God, uh, Lacey Chabay, I think is her name, the girl who played Gretchen, the woman, and then this woman who played Karen, and the guy who played Damien, and Kevin DePore. There was another guy who was in it. I think Missy Elliott's in this commercial, like, who is not in Mean Girls, but just is in this commercial. Like, I want to know how much you had to pay these people, but it is completely worth it. I was blown away by it. And I found out today there's another Mean Girls coming out. There is? Yes. I don't know if it's a, it's, I, I think it's more of a remake. It's not a sequel. Um, but it is written by Tina Fey, who played the teacher in in Mean Girls. Um, so it has, like, the backing of the original people who were a part of Mean Girls, but it's not the cast. So it's not a sequel. I think it's more of a remake, kind of with an updated twist. I want to see it. I would like to see this movie. Mean Girls first came out, I think, in 2003. You know how I know that? I thought it was 04, but go ahead. I'm pretty sure it was 03. You know what? I think you're right. It was it was early 04. You know how I know that? No. My first date was to go see Mean Girls. Wow. Eighth grade. I don't know if people went. A lot of people, like, went on dates before eighth grade. So I think I was late to the party. But eighth grade was my first date, and it was to go see Mean Girls. And, you know, like, yeah, we went to the movies. You know, I watched the movie and then went home or whatever. But that was my first date. Uh, Danny, do you have a first date story? Not not a good one. Did you do anything fun on your first date? I mean, just like you, as a movie, basically. That's okay. So. What movie? Uh, I think it was one of those Spider-Mans, yeah. Not something I was really into, but... So she chose Spider-Man. Pretty like, much, what... yeah. Interesting. Good for you. Okay, good for you. You let her get the choice, so that's good. A lot of other people, like, went ice skate. You know, I learned how to ice skate in, like, fifth grade, and I thought to myself, going ice skating will come in handy one day, for a date. You know how many times I've been ice skating since fifth grade? About twice. Never once did it on a date. Did you pick it right back up or did you have to relearn the whole thing? Um, I did it like, I, I could pick it up. I did it when I was like, say, fifth grade. Then I did it again probably a little bit after that. And then I did it again when I was like 23 probably. And I could do it. I, I could do it. Um, do you know how to ice skate? Well, we were lucky enough to do it in gym class at Essex a couple wow. times. Wow. Because they have the rink, but um, I wouldn't be good at it if I tried it again now. Oh, I think I, I think I could naturally just pick it back up. Um, the thing that would be toughest for me, and like you know, I talk with Caleb about this at Waterbury Sports a lot about skates, is like your ankles get really, really yes. tired um in ice skating right like if you're not somebody who skates a lot your ankles really they wobble around in the skate and then there's a lot you know you're turning them from side to side constantly so you're kind of straining the ligaments in there i i would be very sore ice skating but until that set in i believe i could do it 
Did you learn how to skate on hockey skates, Danny, or did you learn how to skate on figure skates? I believe they were hockey skates. They're okay. all rentals, but. Yeah. Well, the difference is, is hockey skates have the rounded edges to them. Figure skates have a sharp blade that has a pick on the, on the end. Figure skates are easier to learn on because it's a full blade that goes underneath the skate. Hockey skate, the blade is actually much smaller. Um, so I learned how to, like, I was taught when you were young on figure skates because it was easier and it was safer. Um, so I have skated in hockey skates before, but I have done that less actually than in figure skates. Uh, text says, do you think the Red Sox would trade for Xander Bogarts? Uh, no, I don't. No, I don't think that. The Red Sox want to get a trade for Xander Bogarts, a guy who didn't have a great year last year and is 11 years for $280 million, now 10 years for like 250. There's no chance in hell. The Padres are going to regret that, are going to regret that. The only way they were never going to regret that is if they ended up, you know, like if they win the World Series within the lifespan of that contract, then it will be okay. But if they don't, then it's going to be an albatross, right? Like you hate the sale contract. And that's a five-year deal worth like 175 million or something. This is an 11-year deal worth 280. It's a terrible contract. It was terrible the minute they gave it to him. I never would have given that deal if I were the Red Sox. Now six for 150, I would have done, but 11 for 280, not a chance in hell. They'd take Bogarts back if San Diego took every dollar, which San Diego would never do. They would never do. Um, and they've got story. We don't have to love story, but he's the shortstop, right? What they need to do now is find a second baseman. And rumors are out about Whit Merrifield, a guy who was an all-star a couple times for the Royals, has since been playing for the Blue Jays. Um, he's a free agent. You know, they could run with Rafaela potentially at second. A lot of these options are there. So uh, there you go. Texas, do you think it's a foregone conclusion that Justin Turner is leaving Boston? Yes. As I said in the previous hour, which is fine if you didn't hear it, I think it's a foregone conclusion. Because now I'm going to have to wait for this Belichick thing until after TC, but that's okay. Um, Craig Breslow said, I view the designated hitter short of having a Hall of Famer in that spot. I view it as a rotational piece of our lineup. Right? They want to get guys off their feet. They want guys, they want more versatility. They want more flexibility. Oh, Hey, Yoshida's, hey, we're playing in this ballpark where Yoshida wouldn't play well defensively. Great. We'll move him to DH for the day and we'll get our better outfielder in left. Oh, we're playing a lefty on the mound. Well, we got Ref Snyder on the bench. Now we don't have to force Ref Snyder into the outfield. We can put Ref Snyder as our DH. These are the kind of things that Craig Breslow wants. He wants positional versatility. He wants lineup versatility. JD Martinez doesn't give you that. Neither does Justin Turner. And, you know, again, I think he'd, he'd break his rule for Otani, but that's it. He'd break his rule for Otani, but that's it. So, um, short of that, short of getting Otani, it sounds to me like Turner is completely out. Uh, text says, Mean Girls is an awesome movie. I check out the sequel, too, for sure. I'm not good with actors and actresses, Danny. I can tell you that Pam from The Office is uh, in the Mean Girls movie. The original or the new one? The new one. Wow. Yeah, so Pam from The Office, Jenna Fisher, I believe is her name. Yes. She is in the new Mean Girls. And there are other people that I could tell, like, they're who they are and they are famous. I just do not know their names. Um, Tex says, I hope my Reds sign Justin Turner. They might. 
like Joey Votto gone. I hope my Mariners sign Justin Turner. They could use him. They could use a right-handed bat, a right-handed bat that makes contact, all of that, but don't know that they're going to. Turner's going to have suitors, though. He wants a multi-year deal. The Red Sox, clearly, they don't want to give him a multi-year deal, and now clearly they don't want to give him a one-year deal, right? They don't want – Craig Breslow does not want that position stunted on his roster. Does not want that position stunted on his roster. There's so much for um, me to talk about with TC. He's going to be with us here in about five minutes. Uh, Scott Boris, the super agent, was talking at the general manager meetings as well. He had an interesting idea. He wants to move the World Series to a neutral site. I, I suppose the re, I, I don't even know what the reason for that is, frankly. I, I get, it has something to do with ratings. And I think he's thinking like, well, it, like the Super Bowl, right? I think he thinks that if you have it in the home city's ballparks, then really the only people interested in it are the people in the home city, right? I think he's thinking if you make it a neutral site, well, now you're making it a party. So everybody will go, and then the home city, the fans won't be able to go to the game, so they'll stay and watch it on TV, which will make better ratings. That is what I think is is his answer here, but uh, I am not 100% positive, but that is his idea. The one idea he has that I do agree with is he says the Major League Draft is too late in the calendar. They've moved the Major League Draft to coincide with the All-Star game, and there's just a lot of stuff going on there. And it just kind of gets lost in the shuffle. It would be better for the draft. It would be better for the prospects, right? When you have the draft in mid-July, then guys sign. They're not even playing until August, right? They're not even playing until August, and they only have a little bit of time left in that first professional season. When the draft used to be in June, then you got your, bought yourself a couple of extra weeks to get guys on the field. We're going to go out to Scottsdale, TC, live on the scene, talking with uh, he's talked earlier today with Craig Breslow. We'll talk about what he learned. Does he agree with my takes? We'll talk about it next with Tom Karen on DEV. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. A lot of Red Sox talk today. i got a lot of takes on Craig Breslow, things that I have heard, things that I have deduced. I want to see if those takes are right. I want to go out to the phone line now and bring on Tom Karen, our Red Sox and Bruins insider at Nesson, who is live in Arizona at the general manager's meetings. TC, how are you? Doing well, Brady. How you doing? I am doing well as well. It's 31 degrees in Waterbury, and we're expecting treacherous travel in the morning commute tomorrow. And you're bumming it in Scottsdale. How'd you get that gig? Well, timing is everything. And in fairness, it's cool in the morning. It's like 60 in the morning. I guess. You know. (laughs) Uh, Craig Breslow met with the media yesterday. He met with the media today. I watched some of your stuff on Ness, and I've got questions on that. But first... Let me go back to the press conference last week when he was introduced. I want to ask you one question on this. Um, I have been a guy who in the past has has fallen for the press conference, right? The guy who's won the press conference, the guy who's won the podium, and then ultimately has fallen flat on his face. So I was trying hard in this press conference to not be that guy. I did not think that Craig Breslow won the press conference. I thought he was pretty smart-sounding. Kind of boring. It didn't say a whole lot. But I also ultimately think that that's probably okay, given the kind of people I've fallen for in the past. Did you see it the same way? You know what I found is that press conference last week and, and reading some of the reactions from people, 
you know, he came over and was on uh, our in the studio with me and Lenny Donardo afterwards, and I thought he was way better with us. I thought he was engaged. He answered questions. Uh, had, you know, I, I thought a couple of really interesting things to say when he came on our show about the potential turnover in the front office and about mm-hmm. having to be bold and risky. And, you know, I, I just thought, yeah, I, I, I give him a pass on the first press conference. That's, you know, the first time sitting down with all the cameras on you, talking about running a baseball off. I, I like the way he's engaged uh, in the small group settings with the media, and I like what he's had to say. You you were on Nested yesterday and kind of did a wrap-up of what you had heard from Breslow on day one. Um, you made it very clear. The Red Sox have identified starting pitching as their biggest need. They're meeting with guys with starting pitching and their agents. So he, he is he is going headlong into their biggest need. You made that clear on day one. Yeah, and he doubled down on it today. I mean, he said today that they are meeting with virtually every big-name free agent pitcher and their representatives and talking to them about uh, potentially coming to Boston. He said they're casting as wide a net as they possibly can and that they are, uh, you know, not going to let any time go by here without uh, letting people know they're interested. We've seen the reports that they met with Jordan Montgomery, but he said, yeah, we're going to be meeting with everybody because uh, priority number one is starting pitching. The guy I want for a bevy of reasons is Sonny Gray. Now he struggled in his time with the Yankees. He's been really good with Oakland, really good with the Reds, and really good in Minnesota. Do you worry that he's not that good in a big market, or did the Yankees just do something to ruin him for a year and a half? Yeah, I, I don't know. I do worry about that a little bit. I think he got the qualifying offer, too, didn't he? He did. Uh, so that that winds up being a, a major uh, consideration. Now, Now, you know, Breslow told us that that won't be a deal-breaker, but it's certainly something you've got to consider. I think you lose a half million dollars in the international signing pool. I also think uh, you know you, you lose the second-round pick. Uh, so those those are costly additions uh, above and beyond all the money you've got to spend to get the guy. And, to your point, I haven't seen Gray do it in a big market. He certainly didn't do it with the Yankees. Uh, so that does concern me a little bit. I, I'm in the Jordan Montgomery camp because he did it with the Yankees. He did it uh, with playoff pressure last year, trying to get Texas in and then ultimately through to a World Series championship. Uh, and he doesn't because he got traded. There was no qualifying uh, opportunity, so he doesn't come with any of that baggage. If I had my way, he, he and Yamamoto would be the two free agents that I'm looking at. Tom Karen, Red Sox insider at Nesson with us here on the Brady Farkas Show on DEV. So I think Yamamoto, Montgomery, and Snell are kind of the guys in the big fish, you know, section of the swimming pool. The guys like Gray are in the mid section, and a guy like Lucas Giolito is a guy who is in the bounce back category. Do you see the Red Sox looking at like one of each of those kind of guys? Do you see them shopping at the market for two like you want and being done? Where do you see Breslow liking to go with this stuff? Yeah, and I tried to pin him on that a little bit, and he's too smart to, to give away anything uh, this early in the game. But I, my guess is you get one of the big arms, uh, maybe a bounce-back guy like a Giolito or someone that you know you can add depth with, uh, and then probably need to trade for another pitcher who will have a little more cost certainty, uh, would uh, ostensibly be under control uh, when you get him a little bit. I, I think – you know, he's made a couple, and he said it when he came. He didn't say the press conference last week, but when he came on the show afterwards, he talked about, you know, identifying some of the farm system as trade assets that he can use to get major league-ready help. Uh, and that tells me that it won't all be on the free agent market, that he's going to have to go and, uh, and, and, and make trades 
and he said today he's ready to make him, even though he's still getting up to speed on a lot of his talent. He said if the right deal came down today, he would do it. One of the things that I heard him say now multiple times is talking about getting guys at the major league level better, talking about just not stopping somebody's growth in the minor leagues. Um, is that something that you think is, I don't want to say possible, but something that the Red Sox haven't done lately is kind of get better at the major league level? Yeah, I do. And, I, you know, I, listen, I, I think we're going to remember Haim Bloom's four-year stint as, as a period where they really built up their farm system. Okay, But now what's the next step? You know, um, especially on the pitching side, those aren't guys who are ready to, to help this big league team anytime soon. Now, their best pitching prospect is still down at the bottom end for the most part. Uh, what do you do now? You know, I mean, you, you, and I talked to Chris Young yesterday, general manager of the Rangers. And, you know, you and I have talked about this in the past, that to me that's the textbook. This team that had a losing record last year, you know, they went out and invested and made risky moves in getting pitching. Some of it worked, some of it didn't. And because some of it didn't, they went out and, and did more, got Montgomery at the trade deadline. That's what you got to do, and, and you're going to have to trade away some of your minor league prospects, hopefully down on the lower end. You're not, you know, you're not trading Meyer. You're probably not trading Nick York. You're probably not trading the top guys you have. But there's depth there now that they can take some of the uh, you know, good prospects but who are maybe a little further away from the major league level. And, and use those guys to get major league pitching help. TC, I asked the question poorly. I mean more about Breslow has spoken a lot about player development at the major league level. Like, are we going to see him try to implement things yeah. where a Tanner Houck adds a new pitch? I mean, these guys aren't going to add seven miles yeah. an hour at age 28. Yeah. But he's talked a yeah. lot about and, and getting sorry, guys yeah. there better. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry I misunderstood the question, but that, that, that is a, that's, that's a good question. I, you know, I actually asked Ben Charrington that today, and Ben Charrington traded for Craig Breslow. And, and he was talking about, you know, Breslow was an early adopter of a lot of the things that are pretty commonplace now. But, but when Breslow was first becoming a, a part of the Red Sox bullpen, you know, release points and the shape of pitches and arm slotting, and a lot of those things were new. And, and he, he was one of the first guys to have that Rapsodo machine. He had one in his gym that he set up uh, in Connecticut uh, to, to keep uh, improving himself. And I do think, I don't know if development's the right word, but I do think you're going to see in Breslow a real hands-on baseball executive who can get his group to maybe show Tanner Houck, you know, uh, that, that, you know, changing your pressure point on the slider might make it more effective against lefties, might make it move differently. And he kind of hinted on that. He said the next couple of weeks, are going to be really when they dive in and have meetings with their major league players and really set up the goal. And he talked about that, how maybe a different pitch in the, in the mix, maybe a different release point, maybe something a little different to shape that pitch differently might help these guys. Because, again, you know, we've got uh, a situation uh, here where you've got several guys who have yet to prove they can be starters full-time. How Whitlock, Crawford, even Winkowski. Uh, he kind of hinted today that a lot of these guys are going to start spring training as starters because you'd rather build them up. You can always move them to bullpen later. But I think with some of this information, a new set of eyes, you can have a new pitching coach. It's really a new pitching infrastructure. And I think that way you might, you might see development at the major league level. TC, we, we kind of did this exercise a little while ago. I want your opinion on it. Let's say the Red Sox sign two pitchers. Okay. We'll just say they sign any two. They'll have Sale. They'll have Bayo. They'll have those two new guys. And I'll say Pavetta as your five starters. The three guys you mentioned, Hauk, Whitlock, Crawford, 
Are you bumping them to the bullpen and strengthening that area? Or are you using any or all of them as trade pieces to go help the minor league stuff, go get some position players? We've heard a lot about second base. Which kind of avenue do you like? Well, you know, and I'll even throw another option in there because, remember, Alex Cora late in the season kind of hinted that one thing he thinks the Red Sox need to change next year is that they need to have starting pitchers in Worcester who are stretched out and can be called up. And and that's not good news uh, if you're cut a cropper to someone like that because you'd rather be in a major league bullpen than a minor league starting rotation. But I think some of these guys, if they don't make the starting rotation, the organization might be best served moving them to Worcester and having them make starts, stay stretched out, and be ready to jump in so you don't have to cobble together an opener as soon as there's an injury. Having said all that, I wouldn't be surprised if one guy gets moved. I wouldn't be surprised if they can't hammer out a deal with Nick Pavetta. He might be a guy who gets moved, and you give Hulk that fifth spot in your scenario. Uh, and maybe that's where you're helping yourself out, you know, either with a right-handed bat or with a second baseman who can help there. Tom Karen, Red Sox insider at Nesson, live at the general manager's meetings in Scottsdale, Arizona, here on the Brady Farkas Show on DEV. The other big takeaway that I took from Breslow, and I think this one came uh, from Rob Bradford in the Baseball Isn't Boring podcast, but I'm not positive on this. It's very clear to me that Justin Turner is not coming back. He doesn't want one guy outside of Otani. He'd make an exception for Otani, I think. But he doesn't want one guy taking up the DH spot. He wants to rotate guys in there. Do you see it the same way? I do, and I think, yeah, and he, you can easily read between the lines of what he's saying. It's, you know, you talk about Devers and Casas and Story. You know, those right there are three guys that Alex Cora might want to give a rest yet keep their bat in the lineup on a fairly regular basis. So, you know, we've talked about Yoshida in left field. Not a great outfielder. We know that defensively, but uh, he can hit. And, and I think, you know, a second year is going to be an even better offensive year for him. Uh, but you might need to put him in that DH spot once in a while. So, yeah, as as important as Turner was, both on the field and in the clubhouse, I, I would be really surprised if he's back in a Red Sox uniform next year. So Breslow acknowledged today that they're getting calls on Alex Verdugo. You've said you'd trade him. I've said I'd trade him. So let's play another scenario. Yoshida takes over DH. You got Abreu, Rafaela, and Duran. Are those your three outfielders at that point? That's an awfully young outfield, or are you going to go make a move on the outfield spot now? I think you'd probably have to bring in a little bit of veteran help. Uh, the, the real, the, the one to me, as I sit here and play the game of put together next year's roster, it's the whole Rafaela and uh, Duran sort of conundrum that I come to. It's where do you, how do you keep both? Uh, and, and, you know, there's always a way, but, it seems to me that uh, you may even consider moving one of those. And I think it'd be Duran, although off the injury, you're probably not getting as much as you could for him. So I just don't know. You know, it's, you've got a lot of good talent, it seems, in the outfield, but it, not a lot of easy ways to fit them together. Two left-handed, obviously we know that, especially with Duvall leaving. Uh, and, and so, yeah, I, I don't. if you move for Dugo, I'm not sure what that outfield looks like. And I'm not sure Yoshida's an everyday DH. You know, he doesn't really have the power for that. At least I don't think so. I mean, he can hit. But if you're going to have a guy who's just dedicated to designated hitter, I think you need a guy who brings a little more pop than he does. I think you're going to see Yoshida in left field quite a bit. What about the idea of Rafael at second base? That's an interesting idea, right? I mean, that's, you know, he they, they put him there a little bit. And even though he, he'd been an infielder, he hadn't been a second baseman. Uh, but that is a way to get both of them into the lineup, obviously. 
Uh, I, I, I just don't know because I, I, the scouts tell me, the guys who watch him every day in the minors say he takes as good a route and has as good a first step as any center fielder they have ever seen. Hmm. Uh, and they were talking like Mookie Betts level defense. And that's, uh, that's hard. I mean, we don't know if, you know, he's a good athlete. He'd probably be good second base. But, man, I don't know. If you're talking about one of the best center fielders you've ever seen, uh, it's hard to try to get him to go to another position. And it feels like we've done that a lot. Watch guys move position to position to position. Uh, you got a center fielder. And, and Duran had a great run. Listen, there's no doubt about that. I, I loved what he did last year for the team. Uh, but there's a little bit of streakiness there. There's a little bit of up and down. I'm not 100% sure that Rafaela is completely ready to, to play every day in the major league. Still chases a lot of pitches. We saw it, especially late in the season last year. I've heard a lot of people say they won't be surprised if he's back in AAA to begin the season with Duran and center field to give him a little more seasoning. So we'll see maybe if that's the way through it. TC, I'll get you out of here on this. I'm sure you've got another meeting to get to here. But um, Trevor, with Justin Turner gone, likely, it's 23 home runs and 96 RBIs you have to replace. Okay, they can go out and sign someone or trade for someone. If you lose Verdugo, that's even more offense that you're going to have to replace. How much does that mean that they're going to need Trevor Story to be the Trevor Story that they paid for and not some watered-down version of him? Yeah, you're going to need Trevor Story to be Trevor Story next year, not just because of Justin Turner being gone, but just because it, you, know, you spent a lot of money to bring Turner in. I mean, I'm sorry, to bring uh, Story in. And, and you've gotten glimpses of it, and you certainly saw the defense, all right? And that's going to make your defense a lot better if he's there all year. But but you need the, the bat to play at Fenway Park. I think it will, even though it was a struggle when he came back. But that's a, it takes a long time to get your timing back. Uh, he'll have a full spring training healthy. And, and I think at the end of the day, any power you're losing with, with, with Justin Turner or, or Adam Duvall leaving, you're hoping the bulk of it is being made up by a full healthy season from Trevor Story and a full season of what we saw in the second half from Tristan Casas. Mm-hmm. You know, he was struggling big time a couple months into the season. So if you get him doing that all year, if you've got story all year, that's going to pick up a lot of the power right there. TC, you're the best. Appreciate you making time for us here out in Arizona. We'll catch up next week. Thank you. Stay warm up there. That's <laughs> all. Be careful. There goes Tom Caron, our Red Sox and Bruins insider at Nesson. I do appreciate TC making time for us live. You know, again, he joins us live a lot, but here we are later than when he usually joins us. And he was like, hey, I can't do it right at 545. i got to meet with Breslow. And I'm like, okay, hey, whenever you can do it, let's do it. And he said, okay, how about 620? And there was that. So a lot of good stuff there. Now, Danny, you and I can get the interview after the show, and we can cut it up and have it for tomorrow. There's a lot of stuff there to react to. Off the top of my head, my my gut tells me I was right on most things that I thought about Breslow and his methodology. TC also agrees you're not Justin Turner's not coming back, and that is something that surprises me again. Just for the sense of when you have a guy that's really good and a guy that's good in the clubhouse, and he really likes it in your city, you don't usually see a guy not be back when all three of those things line up, right? Sometimes you have a guy who is really good in the clubhouse, but he didn't enjoy your city. Well, Turner loves Boston. I see him posted on Instagram every day about something else he's doing. He's still in Boston, even a couple months after the season's over. So it's surprising to see him not back 
necessarily, but I don't think he's going to be back. I don't think Yoshida is going to be a full-time DH. He's just going to be the guy that plays there more often than anybody else, right? By the time the year ends, if you, if we've played 162 games and Yoshida's been healthy for all of them, I bet you he's a DH on 75 of them. I mean, he's going to be the guy that gets it more often than anybody else. The the Duran-Rafaela thing is an interesting conundrum. Could you move Duran to a corner outfield spot? Remember, he wasn't very good at that a couple of years ago, but he was pretty good in center last year. Rafaela is a guy who, again, I am intrigued by in the outfield. What am I hearing, though, from TC? A lot of youth, right? A lot of youth in that position player group. William Abreu is young. Duran is young. Rafaela is young. I don't know what they're going to do at second base. I've heard rumors about Whit Merrifield. He is not young. But there's a lot of youth potentially playing. Casas is young. A lot of youth potentially playing on this roster. So we will get Buster tomorrow on the show as well, and he will give us his thoughts on uh, kind of what he's hearing out of the general manager's meetings. And maybe we can ask him some of what TC had to say as well. So uh, good stuff there. We will cut up the interview. We will have more of that for you tomorrow, both in the news service in the afternoon and here on the Brady Farkas Show. We can react more fully to what TC had to say. The full interview will be up on the podcast channel when the show is over at uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and WDEVradio.com. All right, I want to get to this Bill Belichick story. Would firing Bill Belichick in season, would that energize you as a fan? One Boston Sports Media member thinks it would. We'll discuss that next on DEV. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Patriots are playing in Germany, as you just heard, uh, next weekend. Well, this weekend, a couple days from now, actually. So uh, they'll play 9.30 a.m. against the Indianapolis Colts. I think it's a very important game for the Patriots. I think it's an important game for Bill Belichick. But before we get to that, uh, Adam Jones of WEEI in Boston said he would fire Belichick, and he would fire him in season. Danny, here's the reason why he would do that. Fire Bill and Benj Mack, like, what, 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 all of a sudden you're going to be a playoff team? All of a sudden you're never going to lose again? But the premise of the question, the spirit of the question is you're doing it to provide a spark. Robert Kraft is doing it to wake his team up. I do it to wake up the fan base. I do it to send a message to the fan. Forget the team. Season's over. Forget the team. I don't want most of these players back. I don't want any of these coaches back. Like, I pretty much just want to hitch my wagons to Christian Gonzalez, and that's it. So I don't want anyone in that locker room back. I don't want any of the coaches back. I want my fans. Danny, I'll start with you, but I want input on the text line for this. 802-585-3026. If the Patriots fired Bill Belichick in season, would that give you a spark as a fan? No, not really. They're still a two-win team. It wouldn't do anything for me either. In fact, I think it would make me sad and angry. Like, I'm already sad at how the season has gone as a fan, but to lose Bill Belichick in season, I think you'd have a significant portion of the fan base that is turned off by that, right? I think there's a lot of people that would be okay if he's not the coach, but I think a lot of people want him to be shown the door in a classier manner. They would like to see him maybe be traded, and maybe you get a draft pick for him, right? We know the market is out there, apparently, where Washington wants him, allegedly, wouldn't you want to explore that? I'd rather get a fourth-round pick or a first-round pick or whatever for Bill Belichick than watch him walk out the door for nothing. So 
I, I don't want to fire him, and I don't think it would do anything for the fan base. I don't think a fan base of a losing team really gets energized until the draft. Like, that's it. The, the draft is the next time, I think, that you'll be energized. Now, if the Patriots fire Belichick and then they hire a new coach, then yeah. But that will come after the, if after the season, then you can start thinking about next year. I think right now a lot of Patriots fans are watching, but I think they're kind of disinterested no matter what. You bring in a new coach, and we see that new coach play with these same players that Adam Jones doesn't want back, and we see him go 2-5 and five or 1-6 and six or 0-7 oh or whatever it is. I, I don't think that does any good for anybody. So, like, you fire a coach early to get buzz when you've got a lead on some great candidate, right? Like, if they were going to fire Bill Belichick and go hire the head coach, you know, Lincoln Riley, well, then, yeah, maybe that would give us a buzz. But that's not the case. That's not going to happen. Like, if you fire Bill Belichick now, you're going to end up bringing in. It's just going to be given to Gerard Mayo, and it's going to be an extension of the Patriot way, and the team's going to be bad, just like they're bad now. That doesn't that doesn't get me excited at all. Is he just looking at the Raiders and trying to copy that? Who? The uh, Adam Jones there. They fired McDaniel's, and now they have energy because yeah, no, game. he he he. I I watched more of that clip. He railed on the Raiders. He said like they're not a good team. They had a good week against a team who the Giants are bad, and Daniel Jones tore his ACL. So like, you know, just having an interim head coach didn't turn around the Raiders. They're still a bad team, but you know maybe but their fans think they're back. Yeah, I, for a game. I, yeah, I. I don't ascribe to that theory. I, I just don't think that's the case, right? I think maybe in college football you could do that because you have huge staffs and you have alumni and guys on your staff that guys have known, but I don't think in the NFL that's really the case. Like most of us don't know a lot about the coordinators on teams anyways. So we do know about Mayo because he's been here, but this one just wouldn't do a lot for me. I'd rather let Belichick have the season figure this out gracefully, see how the team does, and then come to the proper decision at the end of the year. And if you want to fire them or you want to get rid of them, then there's a better way to do it. And as for who you could hire, maybe it's Mayo, maybe it's not, but you're not going to know until the season's over anyways, who kind of who the guy is. So doesn't do a lot for me to fire him now. Earlier in the day, I did speak with Freddie Coleman of ESPN Radio, and we didn't talk, we didn't play the interview back live, but the interview will be available after the show here on our uh, podcast channel on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. He thinks this is a humongous game for the Patriots in Germany, right? Some people see this as a ho hum battle between two under 500 teams. Freddie sees it as something much more. You're not going to make a Super Bowl this year. You know your brand overseas will look a lot better if you win this football game, especially what you've been able to establish as a Patriots organization. So for all intents and purposes, Brady, this is their Super Bowl in 2023. If you go out there and you get embarrassed, then all of a sudden you're going to have to have some heads that are going to roll. I still don't think it's going to be Bill Belichick and his head's going to roll in the season. That doesn't mean that Robert Kraft may say, you know what, that's enough. We are not at a place where we are going to get better or we're going to improve this product. We have completely plateaued under Bill Belichick, and then you make those kind of moves in the future that when this season is over – you put those moves in place. I think this is a big week. I, too, like I said, I would not fire Bill Belichick in season. But the last thing Robert Kraft wants is to be embarrassed internationally. Right? The NFL has a lot of credibility nationally. 
The Patriots have a lot of brand recognition internationally, a lot of success, Super Bowl titles, Tom Brady. There's a lot of Patriot fans internationally. There's a lot of Patriot fans in Germany, actually, right? Sebastian Vollmer, kind of the Patriots ambassador to Germany, who used to play for the Pats. The last thing Robert Kraft wants in an embarrassing season on the home front is also to be embarrassed abroad. And while I wouldn't do it, and I don't think it would happen, if they get embarrassed against the Colts overseas, right, a bad Colts team with a backup quarterback, if they do get embarrassed overseas, I can foresee a world where Bill Belichick does not survive the bye week, right? The Patriots will go to the bye week after this game. It's all kind of set up for a firing if you want it. Right? You've got the bye week. You got time to get new, to get a new, get the new coach in there, get a team meeting in there, get guys on board, get guys buying in. Coaching changes, quarterback changes, they happen at bye weeks a lot of time for a reason. If Bill Belichick gets embarrassed in this game, there is a chance he doesn't survive the bye week. Just because I wouldn't do it doesn't mean that Robert Kraft won't do it. I think this is a huge game for him. Brand recognition has taken a huge hit at home. You do not want it to take a huge hit on the road. Text coming in, 802-585-3026. If the Patriots fire Belichick in season, I'd be shocked. If he hadn't won all the championships, maybe it would be an embarrassment and unclassy if the if the Crafts did that, which I doubt they could fathom doing. I do think that Robert Kraft has a degree of decorum to him. Like, I think being classy matters to him. Um, I don't think he wants to fire Bill Belichick. I don't think he wants to fire Bill Belichick at all. I certainly don't think he wants to do it in season, right? The Browns fire guys in season. The Jets fire guys in season. The Raiders fire guys in season. I don't think that Robert Kraft wants to be lumped in with those teams. I think he sees himself as more of a steward of the organization, but a steward of the of the NFL as well, of the logo, of the shield. I think he sees himself, you know, in, in a classy way. I don't think that he wants to do this, nor do I think that he should? And again, I don't think there's really anything to be gained out of this. You fire Bill Belichick, you hire Gerard Mayo. You hand him the interim job. Are you going to hand Mayo the job anyways at the end of the year? Then if you're going to hand it to him anyways, just give it to him in, in January. If you're not going to give it to him, then I don't need to see him be the interim head coach, and Bill can keep the job. So we talked a lot about the Vrabel thing yesterday. Texter wants to know, do you think Vrabel would do that to his mentor? I don't think that I could. That doesn't mean that Mike Vrabel won't. As I said yesterday, it's show fr- it's show business, not show friends. So maybe Vrabel could step over his mentor. I don't think that I could, and I don't think that Vrabel could, especially when there will be other jobs available. Right? And Vrabel, by the way, might survive in Tennessee. Like if Will Levis takes off at the end of the year, and Will Levis is now the starting quarterback there, if Levis takes off at the end of the year, they may rattle off a couple wins, and then Vrabel, all of a sudden, the situation in Tennessee is looking a lot more desirable for him, and they're looking a lot more favorably at him as well. So there's no guarantee that Vrabel gets fired. We've been talking about Vrabel maybe being a choice for the Patriots. I was just operating on the, on the assumption that Tennessee was going to bottom out and that Vrabel was going to be let go and they'd start over. If Will Levis plays well, that very well might not be the case. And we will see what happens. This is the Brady Farkas Show at WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. Danny, Celtics tonight, your Celtics, a couple minutes from now, they're taking on the Philadelphia 76ers, so we're all going to have to watch that game, either uh, joining it in progress or 
watch it uh, a little bit late or, or watch it on delay, I should say. So they're taking on Philly. Looking at this matchup right now, Philly's five and one. Celtics are five and one. Um, good matchup. Excited to see how the Celtics do coming off a loss. Excited to see what they do against Embiid defensively. I don't know. They're going to show everything they could possibly do against Embiid in game six or game seven of the regular season, rather. But I'm interested in how they come back off a loss, how they do again off a, you know, another day of travel, two games in three days here, and how they do against the reigning league MVP. Should be a good game. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. And I'm curious to see how Philly looks after the cloud or James Harden is gone and, and B just almost dropped 50 the other night, so. I mean, clearly the Sixers look and feel pretty good without the collab of James Harden. Yeah. I, mean, I, I think James Harden, and we, we see this with Kyrie, like James Harden's not the only guy, but there are guys in the NBA that are wholly unlikable and I think would be very, very difficult to play with. And yet these guys, these teams that are desperate just keep giving guys like this chances. I wouldn't want James Harden on my team. I'm still wondering why the Clippers did. Uh, Probably because Kawhi, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George never play, so they need to make sure that at least one guy is available a night. Yeah, and then Harden will uh, hold out again or something. I, I just Harden is an unlikable player, and I know he was great in Houston, and I get why at the end he was frustrated in Houston. You know, he spent six, seven years there, and you get close, but you never get over the hump. I do get it. The team but, almost made the finals. I know, but I so I get why he's frustrated they never got over the hump. But kind of like Kyrie eventually you just got to look in the mirror and realize the problem is you. Yeah, you can't force your way out four times. You know, like how many, you know, I don't know people like this. Maybe you don't either, Danny. But there are people in life who go from relationship to relationship, and they always think it's the other person. Well, look, if you've been, if you've had six girlfriends or six boyfriends in a two-year span, maybe the problem isn't them. Maybe the problem is you. And that's who James Harden is, so. Yeah, I'll be interested in seeing them as well without Harden. It's a very good team in here for Philly. And, again, that's a team I told you that I, I would be worried about. Milwaukee is kind of the number one team to worry about, but I don't think Philly is going away. And they got a pretty good return for Harden, so they got multiple pieces in there that could help as well. So that game comes up just a couple minutes from now. Uh, I want to thank Tom Karen of Nesson for joining us live from the GM meetings in Scottsdale. We'll have Buster on tomorrow talking about the GM meetings, talking about the Red Sox as well. Look, Listen back to some of what TC had to say. And uh, also we'll hear, hear a little bit tomorrow from Jim Plumber. He's the head coach of the UVM women's hockey team. This Friday is the Pack the Gut Challenge. They're trying to fill Gutterson Fieldhouse for their big matchup against Boston College this Friday night. So that's a, always a nationally ranked opponent coming to town. Catamounts had good success against BC last year. We'll see if they can replicate it this year. But the Pack the Gut Challenge is coming up on Friday. Jim Bloomer, you'll hear a little bit from as well. Thanks to all of you on the text line. Thanks to Danny. We'll talk to Buster tomorrow. Jazz with George Thomas is coming up next. And then I in the World with John Batchelor. We'll see you tomorrow on the Brady Farkas Show. Go download the podcast on DED.